0: Acts 28, we're gonna pick it up in uh, verse number seven. Verse seven, I was gonna have uh, one of the kids or a couple of the kids come up and help me read like I did last week, but that cost me 50 bucks. And so I decided, oh, we got kids raising their hands back there, everybody wants to read the Bible now. And I have to be honest, though. So, I I told you I never have cash on me, but it was my birthday uh, last week. And so, I had opened a card from my mom and from my in-laws, and they both put some cash in there. And uh, the gift is always the right size, right? And uh, so, I had cash in my pocket. I had a 20 and a 50. And uh, Alex picked the 50. And so, I was like, man, I only got 20 bucks left. And I was walking out, and I think a member felt badly that I had uh, given away 50 of my birthday dollars, so they shook my hand and put a bill in my hand. And they, when I was walking out, they shook my hand, and there was something in there, and I put it in my — I didn't want to be greedy and, like, look at it right away and hold it up, so I just put it in my pocket. I got home, and I got hundred bucks. That's not a bad deal, is it? So tonight, whoever reads for me is getting $1,000. I'm going to give away $1,000 tonight, and uh, I'm just going to keep doing this. You can't outgive God. Isn't that how it works? Give him a thousand and he gives you two thousand back. I'm not sure if that's always how it works. But if we have, if you have your Bibles, Acts in chapter number 28, where we were this morning, uh, Paul is a prisoner going from Caesarea to uh, Rome. He, last Sunday night, he was shipwrecked on the island of Malta after those months at sea and, 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 and uh, nearly dying. And this morning we saw where they landed on the island of Malta, or what in the biblical times what they called Melita, and he had started to make a fire. They were cold, they were hungry. Their group of 276 from their ship, and they started making a fire, and uh, and the viper came out and bit Paul on the hand. And he should have died, but God protected him, he did not die. And that's where we left it off this morning. They, the people, the, the, they called them the barbarous people, which just really meant those that didn't speak their language and those, those natives of that land. And they thought Paul was a god. So now let's pick it up in verse number seven. Verse seven, in the same quarters were possessions of the chief man of the island, whose name was Publius, who received us and lodged us three days courteously. And it came to pass that his, the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and a bloody flux, to whom Paul entered in and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. So they land. This, this, the chief, the, the, the guy in charge of the island, the, the, the village chief, if you will, his dad is sick. Paul comes in and heals him, verse 9. So when this was done, others also, which had diseases in the island, came and were healed. Word got around. There's somebody on island that can, that can fix your medical problems. Now we know, and here's the interesting thing. For whatever reason, Luke doesn't record anybody getting saved here. He doesn't record anything like that. But we know there is no way that Paul is going to spend three months on an island and not share the gospel in great power. We also know, as we look at the book of Acts, that that the, the Lord allowed these sign gifts of healing and of miracles for the purpose of validating the authority, the spiritual authority of the disciples and of the apostle Paul. So I believe that there was undoubtedly a great host of people that got saved because there were a great host of people who were physically healed. And so many came, people are coming from all over the island. So you can imagine Paul, who's a prisoner going to Caesar Augustus, is now the most popular guy on island. They love this this castaway that has been shipwrecked on their island. Verse 10, "...who also these people honored us with many honors, and when we departed they laid us with, with such things as were necessary." And after three months, we departed in a ship of Alexandria, again, a different ship that had been wintering on the isle. We talked about last week, because the the waters were not safe to travel in during those months, the boats would, would be there for about three months and wait. So there's another ship from Egypt that's been there, which had wintered in the isle, whose sign was Castor and Pollux. And landing at Syracuse, we tarried there three days. And from thence, we fetched a compass and came to Regium, and after one day, the southwest Wind blew, and we came the next day to Puteoli, where we found brethren and were desired to tarry with them seven days. And so we went toward Rome, and from thence when the brethren heard of us, they came to meet us as far as the Appi for the Api Forum and the three taverns, whom when Paul saw he thanked God and took courage. We'll throw the map up there from last week and from this morning. So we started last week, the boat left Caesarea, ended up and going around Cyprus, there to Crete. They had a lot of problems in Crete, ended up in the ocean and, and almost died. Malta and what we just read, you can see the places that we just read, it's giving us these journeys. So we're talking about months worth of travel that we just read from Acts 27 and the first 15 verses of Acts 28. Verse 16 And when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was suffered to dwell by himself with a soldier that kept him. So they finally remember Paul wasn't the only prisoner being sent to Rome. There were other prisoners that they were going to be dealing with, and we had some undoubtedly some very serious convicts, some people um, guilty of some very serious crimes, And so they come, and because of Paul's testimony, because of his reputation, because of the relationship he's built, he doesn't go with all the other prisoners to the prison. They allowed him, basically, to have house arrest there in Rome. He was in his own quarters with a soldier chained to him every six hours, a new one would come, and he had his his own prison detail, if you will, and Paul was there by himself. Now let's look what he did in verse 17. And it came to pass that after 3 days didn't take long for Paul to start sharing the truths of the gospel. After 3 days Paul called the chief of the Jews together, and when they were come together, he said unto them, men and brethren, though I have committed nothing against the people or customs of our fathers, yet was I delivered prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. He calls he knows the Jews are not happy with him over in Jerusalem. So he calls the leaders of the Jews that are in Rome, the Roman Jews, he calls them and says, I didn't do anything to deserve this, but I just want to, I want to get all this out on the table. I want to make sure you understand where I stand and if you have any questions, and and he starts talking. Verse 18, he said, who? The Romans, when they had examined me, would have let me go because there was no cause of death in me. But when the Jews spake against it, I was constrained to appeal unto Caesar. Not that I had ought to accuse my nation of. I'm not here to cause trouble for the Jews or, or for the Romans. For this cause, therefore, have I called to you to see you and to speak with you. Look at this. Because that for the hope of Israel. What's the hope of Israel? Jesus Christ. I am bound with this chain. Nothing other than I'm preaching the Messiah. And they said unto him, we neither received letters out of Judea concerning thee, neither any of the brethren that came showed or spake any harm of thee, but we desire to hear of thee what thou thinkest, for as concerning this sect, the, the Christianity, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. Now, we don't know for sure, but it's highly unlikely that the Jews in Rome had heard nothing of Paul over the last couple of years. They said, oh no, we, don't, we, don't, we haven't heard anything. Have you ever had that where you had heard a report about somebody or somebody gossiped to you about something and said, oh, no, I, I didn't know anything about that. No, it's, that's my opinion is probably what this is. Oh. No, we don't don't know anything, but we have heard a lot of negative stuff about Christians. Go ahead and tell us about it a little bit. I believe that they probably knew all about who Paul was and why he was coming to Rome and why he was in prison. It's possible they did not, but very unlikely, in my opinion, as you study and look at this, even the fact that they called it this sect, that that wording wording would have been viewed as pretty derogatory. This little group you're a part of, um, it's spoken against everywhere. Verse 23, and when they had appointed him a day... There came many to him into his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God. Again, we see here, Paul, when given the opportunity to defend himself, chooses instead to declare Christ. Instead of talking all about how he's justified in in who he is, he says, let me just spend this time telling you the reason I'm in prison is because I'm preaching Jesus persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets, from morning till evening, 10, 12-hour days of teaching and preaching the things of Christ. Would you read verse 24 aloud with me? Ready? Begin. And some believed the things which were spoken, and some believed not. And when when they agreed not among themselves, they departed after that Paul had spoken one word, Well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah the prophet unto our fathers, saying, go unto this people and say, hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see and not perceive. For the heart of this people is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. So some believe in Christ, and others don't, and Paul says, Isaiah told us this would happen. He refers back to the prophecy of Isaiah and says, They said that, that, that he would come unto his own, and his own would receive him not. And when they heard that, they departed. And notice what Paul says in verse 28: Be it known, therefore, unto you, that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles, and that they will hear it. Paul basically said, I love the Jews and I've preached to the Jews, but I'm giving my life to the Gentiles because the Jews are cold and hardened to the things of the gospel. And so I'm going to go to those that are open and receptive to Christ. Now again, that doesn't mean that God didn't die to save any group of people. It just means for Paul, he said, I'm not gonna beat my head up against a wall trying to convince you. If you don't wanna believe it, I'll go to those that are open and receptive to hear. Verse 29, and when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had great reasoning among themselves. They talked a lot about what Paul had said from, day and, from morning until evening. And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. It's really an interesting ending to this book. The way that it ends, it really feels like if this were a movie or a television series that took you on all these twists and turns and all of these things, it feels like it ends so unfinished. You don't get the end of the story. There's no resolution. And I'm going to talk about that next Sunday night. It's a beautiful truth I believe the Lord's given me to share with us on our final thing. But it's kind of a weird ending. And, and what we see here is it just ends with Paul in prison. We don't hear the end of the story. Paul in prison for a couple of years, and in prison, he's there really under house arrest more than prison. He's kind of in his own quarters. He has a prisoner there, and Paul being detained as a prisoner, not able to go out, but they allowed people to come in. And for two years, there was just a steady stream of people, and Paul ministering from his bondage. Tonight, I don't have to be long tonight, it really is a simple message, but I want to give us three truths, and tonight's message is parting principles from Paul. As we see the end of the story, I want us to see three powerful truths that Paul lived out here as the narrative of his life and ministry in acts comes to an end. Tonight, a simple but practical message that I believe could help all of us, three Parting principles that we see from Paul here as a prisoner in Rome. Number one, the first thought that I see in Paul's life that I think would help all of us to consider. Number one, help people when you need help. Help people when you need help. Verse number eight, and it came to pass that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and of a bloody flux, to whom Paul entered in and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, others also, which had diseases in the island, came and were healed. What kind of state is Paul in right here? He's been lost at sea for weeks. He's been out on a ship as a prisoner for months. He's hungry. He's cold. He's tired. He's weak. And what does Paul do? He ministers to others. We know that he needed help because they helped him. They gave him food. They, they did things to minister him. Paul had great needs himself, and yet what do we see him doing? He's in a tough spot in his own life, but yet he continues to serve. And may I say this morning, uh, this evening, we see these things in Paul's life over and over again. When he could have been focused on his own needs, he focused instead on the needs of others. You know that one of the best things that you and I can do when we are hurting is find someone else who is hurting and help them? When we seek to be a blessing, isn't it interesting how this works? When we seek to be a blessing to someone else, almost always somehow God returns the blessing to us. We see it in verse 10. Paul's healing and helping people, what does it say in verse 10? Who also honored us with many honors, and when we departed, they laden us with such things as were necessary. What does Paul say? We sought to be a blessed—or Luke really says Uh, it—Paul was helping all of them, and what ended up happening? We ended up being blessed. You know what I almost always find in my life? Even when I don't feel like trying to help somebody or minister to somebody or go out of my way or maybe make some kind of an inconvenience in my life to serve somebody, every time—and I don't always do it. But every time that I do, I end up being the one that receives a blessing. And sometimes when we are hurting, when we have needs, we we stop and we kind of throw a pity party and we sit there and say, I wish somebody would help me. And by the way, I I wish somebody would too. But you know what a great thing to do is? Instead of waiting, I wonder who's going to help me look out and say, who can I help today? Who can I serve? Whose needs can I meet? Who can I help when I need help? What did Paul say as he was writing to the church? He said, "But my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory." What did he say? My God will meet all of your needs. That's not just a blanket promise. That's a in context. It's a conditional promise, I think you can say, that comes when, because you have helped me, because you have met my needs as the apostle, he says, you have given over and over again to me, because out of your poverty you were generous, he said, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory. A promise that came because they had met the needs of Paul. One of the worst things, Christians, that you and I can do when faced with heartache and heart break is to sit there and wallow in it, to focus only on our grief. Now, I'm not saying that we can't take time to grieve. I'm not saying that we can't take time, if we're hurting, to seek help and to, 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 to walk through and to, to pray together with people and to have people help us and minister to us and counsel us. I'm not saying that we're robots and we're hurting and then we just go. I'm not saying that, but what I am saying is be careful that we don't just throw a pity party. We ought to take our cares to the Lord and then seek to minister to others in need. Again, I'm not saying not to take care of yourself I'm, what I am saying is, don't stop serving and helping even when you need help. In certain situations, I understand a person or a family may find themselves in the spiritual ICU. They may be physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually unable to help anybody. There are seasons where we are in spiritual, emotional, sometimes even physical ICU. I get that. There are seasons there. And, and, and we may need to stop and just heal. But what I'm saying is once the, the Spirit of God and the people of God and the work, once we are mended up and there's some healing in our lives, what we ought to do then is look who can I help? Even if I still need some help, who can I serve? Who can I bless? Who can I encourage? Who can I, who can I give toward? Who can I meet a need for? And what you'll find out is, like Paul, even when you have needs, when you choose to help others in your time of need, God pours out some blessings on you that you weren't expecting. I've told this story before. The, the, the uh, church, Pastor John Wilkerson, First Baptist Long Beach, where Sandy and Sammy and their family and others in our church have served there and were, were reached. And for years, Pastor Wilkerson was Sammy and Sandy's pastor. And there was a time, I believe, did, six children, seven children? I can't remember right now. Is it seven? How many they had or have total? Ten, oh, ten children. Oh, they had more than I remember. Ten children. Their oldest son, Tyler, was driving from Long Beach as a high school senior, I believe, driving from Long Beach to Northern California. Actually was coming to our home church, I think, if I remember correctly, for an event um, there in Northern California. And and, uh, I think it was the uh, Pacheco Pass maybe there. As you're going up to Northern California, about midnight, somewhere in the middle of the night, there was a car accident. He was thrown from the car and ended up passing away and going to heaven as an 18-year-old boy. And they got a phone call in the middle of the night. Uh, Preston, their their son, I think the next, uh, maybe the third oldest son. Preston was an intern here a few summers ago and, and served in our church. And they got a phone call at one or two in the morning to let them know that their oldest son, Tyler, who was in the same class all the way through school with Sandy, they were good friends, had gone to heaven. I can't imagine the heartache. I can't imagine the heartbreak. And and, and Preston told us when he was here how their parents, one by one, woke them from their bedrooms and brought them in to let them know Tyler's in heaven. He's not here anymore. And I'm not saying everyone has to respond this way. I don't think I could respond this way if I were to face something similar But Preston told us, he said, I said, now, what happened? How did your parents walk through that? And here's what their family did. He said, well, that Saturday morning, we were having visitation at our church and that people were gonna go out to visit the bus routes and other things. And so my parents took our whole family. We went to church and my dad prayed with our church family and let them know what had happened. And we prayed together. And then my mom and dad took all of us and they took us to people that were shut in and to people that were sick and to people that were struggling. And we went and visited people that were in need and tried to minister to them. Everyone doesn't have to respond that way, but I admire for them that was that in their time of need, what, what Pastor Wilkerson believed was best for their family was. Let's remember, we're not the only ones who are hurting. There are some other people that are hurting in our church and in our area. And let's go seek in our time of need, let's go seek to minister to them. And and again, I I don't think if if we were to face something similar, I don't don't know that I could respond in quite that way. I don't know that that would be my response, and there's not a right or a wrong, but I, I do admire the thought that in our time of need, it's a good thing to find other people in need that we can minister to. In our time of need, let's help those. Number two, the second parting principle from Paul, not only help people when you need help, number two, keep preaching in prison. Keep preaching in prison. What do I mean by that? What does prison represent here? Probably, I think it's okay to say, for Paul, prison represents not where he wants to be. Paul was a mover and a shaker. Paul was, a, let's go travel, let's go Let's go to the next place, let's plant a new church, let's reach a new group of people, let's go to a new synagogue, let me get a whole new group of people, and let me go preach. And Paul was, for years, two years in Caesarea, two years in Rome, he's in a place, and life doesn't look like he thought it would look. When he set out on his first missionary journey, and his second missionary journey, and his third missionary journey, I don't think he thought, I can't wait till I get to spend year after year after year in prison. Uh, that's not how life was supposed to turn. Out for the Apostle Paul, that's not what his circumstances were supposed to look like. They were less than ideal. I don't think it's where Paul wanted to be. I don't think it would have been his first choice. But what do we see when life didn't look all the ways that he thought it would look at that point? When he was a younger man, when he was starting out and preaching and starting out and serving God, and he had an idea of what it might look like. I don't think he pictured stoning, and I don't think he pictured getting run out of town, and I don't think he pictured shipwrecking, and I don't think he. He pictured getting scourged, and I don't think he pictured prison. But what do we find as an older man coming to the end of his journey? Life hasn't turned out exactly like he probably thought it would. And and God, I served you faithfully, and I preached everywhere I could to you. And this is where I find myself. And instead of sitting there wallowing in self pity, wallowing in grief, wondering why would God let this come? You know what Paul said? If God has me in prison, then I get to preach to prisoners. If God has me in prison, then I get to preach to prison guards. If God has me on a ship as a prisoner, I get to preach to 275 other people on the ship. If God has me on Malta, I get to heal those people. And where God has me, I'm going to keep serving Him, even if it doesn't look the way I thought it would look when I was a younger man. Sometimes we get disillusioned, don't we? We call it in our society, sometimes we go through a midlife crisis. What is a midlife crisis? for those that maybe do go through it, or they kind of get to the age of 40 or 50 or somewhere in there and and kind of look back and think, "What, what is that? It's, my life really didn't turn out the way I thought it was going to. I really thought in my 20s, my 30s, boy, this is where I was headed, and life was filled with a little more disappointments than I expected. And life was filled with a little more discouragements than I expected, and a few more betrayals than I expected. And and, and my bank account's a little smaller than I expected, and my my career path took a a little less of an upward trajectory and a little bit more of an up-and-down trajectory, and life didn't quite turn out like I thought it would when I was in high school or in college or, or, or in my 20s. Life didn't quite look like I thought it would. And sometimes because of that, we get disillusioned and we start to think, why would God have me here? Boy... God never brought this into my life and I never got to enjoy that relationship or uh, this never happened with, we never had children or or whatever it might be. All of the things in life that sometimes we have these ideals and these goals and we think this is what life's gonna look like. And guess what? For all of us, life looks a little different the longer down the road we get than we might've thought it would earlier on. And what did Paul do when life looked a little different than he probably expected as a younger man? He kept preaching Jesus, he kept fulfilling his calling, even when circumstances were less than ideal. Don't quit because life didn't turn out the way you expected. God is not done with you because all your plans didn't come to fruition. His arm is not shortened because your dreams didn't come true. You find yourself in prison, a place where life looks a lot different than you expected. Uh, Keep lifting up Christ. Keep telling others how wonderful he is. Keep making an eternal impact in the lives of everyone you come in contact with. I don't think Paul thought his ministry in Rome would be confined to one room and they would have to come to him. But you know what Paul said? If this is what I have to work with, I'm gonna make the most of it and I'm gonna preach Jesus from this one room. Paul wanted to go to Rome for a long time. I don't think his plan was, I can't wait to get to Rome so I can be stuck in the same room for two years with a a prison guard chained to me 24 hours a day. I don't think that was his plan for ministry in Rome. But do you know what he did? Instead of sitting there bemoaning the fact that life didn't look the way God didn't come through for him, the way he expected him to when he got to Rome, you know what Paul did? He said, I preach Jesus Christ in whatever circumstances he has me. Keep preaching in prison Paul spent years and years in prison you know what he did that entire time he faithfully served Christ and fulfilled God's calling on his life number 3 in the last principle sometimes i tell you i don't have to be long and i lie and i'm long tonight i told you i don't have to be long and i'm telling the truth i'm almost done number 3 love people even when that love is not returned Verse number 24, what happens in verse 24? Some believed the things which were spoken, and some believed not. Verses 28 to 30, what happened there? He said, You know what? You, you, didn't, you didn't accept my message, my love, my investment, so I'm gonna go to the Gentiles. I'm gonna keep loving people. It might be a different group of people, but I'm gonna keep loving people even when my love is not returned. What happens so often, church, as we serve God, Paul is an older man here. He's coming toward the end of his life in ministry. He's going to be martyred. Probably not too long from now. And what happens so often after we've been betrayed, after people have done us wrong, we we grow a little cynical. We grow a little bitter. We we, we start to really view the world through very uh, jaded eyes. And what did Paul do? He said, You're not gonna listen, Jews, then I'm gonna go to the Gentiles. You're not gonna love, you're not gonna, you're not gonna return the love that I'm giving. That's okay, I'm gonna keep loving. What happens so often is we love until that love is no longer reciprocated. Then we hurt, we, we get hurt, we grow bitter, we get disillusioned, and we decide we will never love again. We turn into grumpy, bitter, cynical critics. I'll teach them I'll never give anyone a chance to reject my love because I'll never show love to anyone ever again. That's not the answer when love is not returned. In our culture, we have a saying for this. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice. Shame on—what are we saying? I should have learned that when you did me wrong once, I'm done trying to do good. I should have learned that if you hurt me once, I cut you off, and I'm done trying to help people. I'm going to put a wall up. And we don't see that with the Apostle Paul. Those that he had loved, he invested in, he had trained, he had led to Christ. That they, they, sometimes they lived for God, and other times they didn't. And, and you know what Paul kept doing? He kept lifting up Jesus— We sometimes think, well, I should have been smarter than to love. I knew it would only hurt me. No, when you've been hurt, keep helping people. When you've been lied about, keep sharing the truth with people. When people take from you, keep giving to people. When people do you wrong, keep doing right. When people are unfaithful, stay faithful. When people won't forgive you, keep forgiving. Because God sees, God knows, God is keeping track, and God will reward, and God always God always has someone else he wants you to help. I don't know all of your stories, but I look around the room, and in nearly every section, I, can, I know of some things where you've been done wrong, where you loved people, and you've been, you've been returned with not love back, and yet you still try to love others and, and use your life to impact others. That's the way it should be. I think Jesus said it this way. If somebody hits you on the cheek, what does he say? Turn the other cheek. They ask you to run a mile with them, go too. They ask for your coat, give them your cloak also. What is he saying? Somebody takes advantage of you, keep loving. Keep serving. Keep investing. Keep helping people. Keep giving. Keep going. As the songwriter said, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face All sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. Three simple truths, but so very powerful if we, like Paul, are going to finish our course with joy and finish our course with fruit to offer to the master. Parting principles from Paul here in Acts chapter 28. Help people even when you need help. Pastor, I'm hurting right now. I, I have needs right now. You know what a great thing you can do is? Find somebody you can help this week. There'll be blessings that come from that that you didn't expect. God's watching. He, he'll supply all your need according to his riches and glory as you seek to help others in need. Keep preaching in prison. When life doesn't look exactly the way you thought it would, you're, at, you're 30 or you're 35 or you're 40, you're 45, you're 50, 55, 60, 65, 70. And life didn't quite turn out all the ways you thought it would at that age. You know what you need to do? Keep fulfilling God's calling on your life. The circumstances of life look different than you thought they would at that age and stage of life. Keep loving, keep lifting up Christ, keep helping people. Help people even when you need help. Keep preaching in prison. And then that last thought, love people even when that love isn't returned. Some people believed, Some didn't. You know what Paul said? I'm going to keep trying to help others. Great thoughts for all of us. Paul's life, we we often think of Paul as living this amazing life, and he did. But it wasn't easy. And it wasn't perfect. And it wasn't without heartache. And it wasn't without heartbreak. But you know what he did? Wherever God placed him, he stayed faithful unto death. May we do the same. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty.